Hey, as we answer some questions in this series, is this the end? I referred to this last week, and I want to open with this today. One of the signs of the demise of a nation, again, from Egypt in history all the way up to the United States today, and, and I'm sure there were others, the, the pagan uh, nations in the days of Abraham who would serve the God of Molech, the, the God of Baal, and they would perform child sacrifice to these gods. There has never been a nation, a republic, an empire that has survived the approved genocide of a child. In our nation since 1970, we have approved the genocide of the unborn child. We understand that a child has a heartbeat in the womb. And today we're in a battle to protect the life of an unborn child. If you would, we want to invite you to join us in pushing this agenda forward for the next couple of weeks to love life and go to the polls on November 3rd and vote yes for the Love Life initiative. You can go to lovelifevoteyes.com, Love Life Vote Yes. Dot com, and you can download anything that you want there. You can promote and you can push. And you can be a part in our state of protecting the life of an unborn child. Because hear me again, no nation has ever survived the approved genocide of children. And I'm telling you that America will not be God's exception to that historical and biblical rule. Last week, we went over a couple of points. I just want to highlight some of those points, um, even as I talk about a very heavy topic. Number one, last week, we saw in the scriptures, not the points from the message, but the main points of the scripture was number one, do not panic, okay? Like, even if the voting doesn't go your way this year. Go do your civic responsibility. Even if another storm, my Jesus, hits the coast of Louisiana, and we have two more, and we break hurricane records as wildfires stream across California and wars and rumors of war spread across the land, Jesus said, hey, don't panic. Your faith is not in what you see. Your faith is in who I am. Number two, Jesus instructed us that only those who endure to the end shall be saved. Because anybody can embrace the gospel. Anybody can embrace salvation and a decision for Jesus. But not everybody will go the distance with him. Some will choose him, but few will follow him. And so the scripture encourages, commands us to endure because those who endure, Paul said it this way, hey, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Run your race with endurance. It's not a sprint. It's a lifelong journey. It's one foot. It's not even a marathon because people still run in marathons. They're trying to win. No, no, no. This is a journey. We are just walking with Jesus. 
step by step in the path that he's already ordered for us. And every time we take a step, he establishes it. Isn't that neat? That God will establish the steps that he ordered for us. And literally all we have to do in this journey is walk with him. Number three, this was our final point last week. Serve. <laughs> this is an important piece of the puzzle here. Because <laughs> a lot of people serve, but a lot of people ain't got no sense. <laughs> and the Bible said a faithful and sensible servant. Not just a servant. A faithful and sensible servant. This person will take what the master has given them and be faithful to win more. And listen, this passage in Matthew chapter 24, it was the foundation that we're going to build upon in these last day's messages. As we answer the question, is this the end? What are the signs? The purpose of this passage, it was all about living for Jesus and winning more people for his cause. Winning more people into relationship with Jesus. The purpose of this passage was all about the one that got left behind. Two will be in the field. Two will be at the meal. One will be called up and one will be left behind. And the church should not be satisfied with not seeing people saved, especially when they were standing right there. Hey, Luke chapter 21, verse 36, it says this, watch therefore and pray always. Okay, so, so prayer is not something that we do um, after we live our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. No, no, no. We watch therefore and we pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, there was one piece of this passage that I wanted you to see because this is what I want to talk about today. This word, worthy to escape. You may be counted worthy to escape. I believe that that is a reference to escaping the great tribulation, to escaping the wrath of God because he's already poured it out on his son. And God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth. So we, we can't panic. We need to endure and we need to serve with sense because we're going to be, we're going to be counted as the end draws nearer and we're nearer than we've ever been before. We're going to be counted worthy to escape or we're going to be counted unworthy and left. And the only thing that makes us worthy is our relationship with Jesus. That's important because you're not worthy because of what you do. You're worthy because of who he is. And the only thing that makes us worthy is our relationship with him. Let me tell a story of when I was a kid. I sometimes tell stories on my children. I'm going to tell you a story and show you where my children get some of the things that they get. Uh, I was young, I don't know, man, seven, eight years old, maybe. Kelsey was younger. My sister was younger. Um, I know she wasn't around at this time. I was outside 
with my, my daddy, Tim, my stepdad, he's always treated me like his own. And, and he had a birthday this week and, and I'm so glad that he has birthdays and he's here with us and he's getting older. And he's getting brittle, but he's still having birthdays. That's good. I pick on him, too, at the same time. We were outside, and I was in the golf cart, and he told me, he said, Chris, he probably said son, because he always treated me as his own, don't get on this side of the golf cart. Okay, look, here's the pedal. Here's all the stuff. Don't press the pedal. Don't even get over here. Just sit right there. I'll be right back. So he gets out of the golf cart. And he was going to go into our storage room. It had double doors, right? And uh, he opened the door, and the door was right in front of the golf cart, and I'm sitting in the golf cart. He told me what those pedals did. <laughs> you know, he told me not to get in that seat, but he told me what happens if I push the pedals. So I was like, I just want to see. He's in there. I'm just going to scoot over real quick. And so I scooted over. Put my hands up on the wheels. I kind of pretend like I was driving because I ain't never drove nothing as cool as a golf cart. Like up to that point, it'd been Tonka trucks. So I got this golf cart, and man, hey, look, here's some pedals. So I play with the brake a little bit. I don't even know what he's doing. It shouldn't even be taking him this long. It's his fault. This happened. He's in the, he's in the room, and I just couldn't help it any longer. I kind of pressed the gas pedal. Well, if you've driven a golf cart, especially the older ones, you have to press the pedal in order to pop the brake. See, he had set the brake, but he left the key on. So I kept pressing the pedal and nothing was happening. So finally, I was like, man, I pressed a little further, nothing. Pressed a little further, nothing. Finally, I was like, well, I, I thought it was off. I pressed the pedal. Boom! I went backwards. I mean, this thing threw me back. The brake popped. I go backwards. Whoa! I slam into the door. The door slams closed. I go shooting past the thing, and he's trying to get out the door, and the golf cart's blocking away, and he finally shoves out the door, and he opens the door, and he said, I just told you. <laughs> that memory is branded into my mind. It's stuck in my limbic system. It affects how I deal with controversy to this day. I just said it. And I was all mumped up, you know, because I thought maybe if I cried enough that he'd feel bad for me. But I was wrong. He didn't feel bad for me. I want to preach this message called, I just said it. Not, I just said it. Because that's probably what a lot of people were thinking when they saw this title. No, no, no. I believe that Jesus is saying, hey, guys, I just, I just said this. I just said it. And I believe that that's what he's going to be saying. I said it over and over again for 2,000 years, and you just didn't listen. You just had to try it your way. You just had to do it your way. And now look what has happened. I want to confront the confusing really quick. One of the things that people get really confused about is the fact that we cannot predict the day or the hour. Matthew 24 is very clear. Luke 21 is very clear. We do not do, even the angels in heaven do not know the day nor the hour. We can know the season, but we cannot know the day nor the hour. There's another thing that I want to confront is that the world as we know it is going to end. The world as we know it, according to Luke chapter 21, verse 33, the world that we live in, and you're going to see this again today in our text, the world we live in is going to end. Like, 
We're trying to make it to heaven, and heaven's going to pass away too. What people don't understand is that this world is going to be baptized in fire, and it's going to be cleansed. And then we are going to rule and reign with Jesus here for a thousand years, a millennial reign according to his word. But the world as we know it, it's not going to last. We're fighting way too hard for something that God has already told us is not going to last. Me confront another confusing and, and a little bit controversial sometimes. There is life after death. Now, it's controversial because we, we believe this predominantly in the Bible Belt South. I mean, there's, there is this movement called the nuns where there's, there's, and I'm not talking about like the ladies that have given themselves the celibacy and the church, not that kind of nun, but like the, the, the nun faith type people, the, the we don't believe in any God whatsoever. There is this movement of the nuns and they don't believe that there's anything. They think we live, we die nothing happens and there are some people that feel that way but I'm talking about even the people that understand that there is something after we live and yet we fight so hard to stay alive like we really fear death we're really offended by death we don't even see it as a celebration see what we need to understand is that we are spirit and soul dwelling in a body so, and we know this and until until something happens to this body. Now, yes, Jesus is our healer. It's one of our core doctrines. We believe that by his stripes we are healed and that in fasting his, his healing can spring forth speedily. And we pray and we believe and we have seen God do miraculous and supernatural things, but everybody that's ever been healed has still died. They've still passed away from something else. We are spirit and soul dwelling in a body. Now that clears up why the spirit and the soul will meet the body in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And the body, the resurrected form, even from ashes, ashes to ashes we go. Even people who were cremated, even people who passed away in a smoke fire in their home and ended up, even people who have been dead for thousands of years and they're nothing but the dust that God created us from, those bodies are going to be resurrected and glorified and those bodies are going to meet the spirit and the soul in the air. Now, here's the final thing we need to clarify, and this is where we're going to dive in today, is that there is a difference between the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus. The rapture of the church and the return. Now, rapture is not in Scripture. It's like Trinity. You don't see the word but you see the makeup of the word. Trinity, rapture, those are English terms that we use to identify biblical truths. That is the word rapture. Rapture, it just means to be caught up, all right? Here's the scriptures for the rapture. You can see 1 Thessalonians 4. We already saw it in Matthew 24. You see it in Luke 21. I read it out of Luke 21. There is an escape available for those who are in Christ that shall not see the wrath of God. In the rapture, the church, we are caught up in the air. We're taken up in the air. In the return of Christ, he touches down. 
Now, some of you may just want to snapshot this with your phone or your camera. In the rapture, we're taken up in the twinkling of an eye. As lightning flashes from the east to the west. We're taken up in the air. And in the return, he comes and he touches down on the Mount of Olives. And we'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years. In the rapture, believers see Jesus in the air. In the rapture, only the believers. Remember, last week I told you it's not even going to be time to say, look. We're going to be like, look, that's it. Believers will see Jesus in the air. In the return, everyone sees. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess. In the rapture, we, the church, are removed from earth. And we go to this holding place called heaven. And remember, heaven and hell currently, they are nothing more than a holding place awaiting our arrival and then the great white throne judgment, which we'll get to. We are removed from earth in the return. He returns to earth. In the rapture, war breaks out at some point. After the church is removed, at some point there will be a period of time and there will be a peace treaty signed with Israel. There will be a peace treaty signed with the Jews. The Jews will be allowed to go back up on the temple mound and to build a portion of Solomon's temple. Possibly not the outer courts because that temple mound will be shared between Jewish and Islamic people and believers. And there will be three and a half years and they'll be able to do that. And by the way, Jewish people are preparing for that right now. They're already raising the original cattle that God required to be sacrificed. They're making the robes. They're getting the garments and the gemstones together. They are doing DNA tests to see who fits purely in the Levitical line. They are believing for this to come to pass sooner than later. Israel signed a peace treaty just a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't the peace treaty that the Bible talks about in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, but it is a peace treaty. And that peace treaty will signify seven years or 1,240 days of peace. Three and a half peace and then severed in the middle. War will break out in the middle of that great tribulation. But at the return, look, Jesus speaks a word. Kings and kingdoms bow. They're divided and broken and peace is restored. In the rapture, Christ receives his bride, the church. Okay. In the return, Christ returns with his bride. We come back with Jesus and we meet those who didn't receive the mark of the beast. We, we meet those who endured to the end of that time. In the rapture, we can only know the season. Before the rapture, we can only know the season. Before we're caught up in the air, no man knows the day nor the hour. But as I just said, if you go look in the book of Revelation, in the return, we know the day. We can count the days between the time that that peace treaty is signed with Israel and the man of sin stands on the temple mound in the middle of the book of Revelation and proclaims himself to be God. And then 1,290 days from there, we will know that Jesus is coming back because there's a 30-day grace period right there at the end. Jesus will touch down upon the Mount of Olives. We can count the days. All right? That is the difference as we move forward between the rapture and the return. This was so interesting 
to the early church that they too, just like us, tend to dwell on it a little bit. Peter wrote two books as an apostle. He wrote two books to the church. In his second book, he ended on an explanation of the day of the Lord. It is very much in line with everything that we read last week. And that's where we want to finish today and see what was so important to the Apostle Peter that he waited until the end of his second book, that this was the last thing that he made sure that the church knew. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start out in verse 1. The subtitle of this chapter says, The day of the Lord is coming. Peter, like many people throughout the ages, believed that the return of Christ was imminent. That it could happen imminent simply meaning at any time. And so here's his explanation. Remember, Peter was standing there during Jesus' exposition in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Like he remembered from the words of Jesus. So we're getting a first-hand translation. Not my translation 2,000 years later like I gave you last week, but a first-hand translation of what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Watch this. Verse 1, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I've tried to stimulate your or remind you through wholesome thinking. I've tried to encourage, motivate your wholesome thinking. And then he says, and refresh your memory. Like, I want you to remember the words of Jesus what is, what is he wanting to stimulate? What memory is he wanting to refresh? Well, he's about to tell us. Let's keep reading verse 2. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said. I want you to remember what Ezekiel said. I want you to remember what Zechariah said. I want you to remember what Joel said. I want you to remember what Isaiah said. Things about the last days that were going to come to pass. Remember what the holy prophets said long ago and, and from a first-hand testimony, what Jesus commanded. Remember what Jesus commanded and he's saying, hey, through your apostles, we're, we're, we're not the apostles. No, we're your apostles. We're here for you. Number three, watch our verse three, not number three. Most importantly... It is, it is of utmost importance, this next part. I want to remind you that in the last days, here's the number one sign of the last days, rebellion against the will of God. It's the number one sign. When you see the greatest peak of rebellion against God, that's the sign. It's not just the genocide of children, although no nation has ever survived that. It's not the desanctification or perversion or twisting or expansion of holy matrimony between one man and one woman, although no nation has ever survived that. 
The number one sign, Peter says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers, mockers, is a, the great interpretation of the original text here. False prophets will arise and they will mock the truth and follow their own desires. Listen, I, I know that it's been happening for a long time in our nation. May I even say that it happened in the foundation of our nation because you can't be a Christian and own slaves. You just can't. You can't beat and torture people and treat them as slaves and be a son or a daughter of God. I just, I, I, I struggle with that too much. I can't believe that for somebody. But in this day and in this age, people are twisting and mocking the truth unlike ever before. We believe that it is the right of an individual to kill a child even up to conception, and we fight for it. We believe that it is our right to marry whoever we want to, however many we want to, because it's our right to be happy. We believe that God is okay with revelry and drunkenness, even by his own people. It's a mockery of the truth and a following of our own desires. Verse 4, they will say, this is the number one sign of the last days. What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Where is he? Ah, they've been saying that for years. The apostles believed that. The first century Christians believed that. Constantine believed that. They believed that in medieval times. Surely this is it. Oh, they believed that in the 60s, in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, here's the thing about believing it. Friends, somebody's going to be right. Somebody will be. There will be a generation that gets it right. And the rest of them were just being obedient to Scripture because Jesus said, I'm coming unannounced and unexpected. What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming? Peter begins to explain, from before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. And then he goes on in the next couple of verses to give an explanation of, of the water that the earth was baptized in in the days of Noah. And then he says in verse 7, but the present heaven and the present earth are reserved for fire. These are Peter's last words. Like he waited until now to bring all this up. Is this the end? Well, Peter is speaking as if it's he, his end. And this is the most important thing that he wanted to communicate. Verse 8, he says, because with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. All right, so I did a little math. Actually, I, helped, I asked for some help on a little math. The conversion of a day being like a thousand years and a thousand years being like a day is what takes us about two and a half million hours. What, I'm sorry, what takes us about two and a half million minutes, um, which is about four and a half years, five years, takes God five minutes and what takes God about five or what takes us five minutes by the way that was four and a half to five years of us not sleeping and only doing that task God did it in God does it in five minutes that's the conversion of a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day even let's scale it down a little bit further um, what takes us five minutes 
takes God a millisecond. See, you think that you got to spend the next 10 years trying to clean up your act and God just needs a millisecond. He just needs a moment. You think that you've got to make up for lost time. And God says, hey, listen, I don't dwell in time. Time dwells in me. With me, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. I know that it feels like it's been a long time, but I'm telling you, when you look back, it's going to go by in a flash. I know, I know it feels like it's been forever, but it's going to come to fruition in the twinkling of an eye as the lightning flashes to the east or, from the east to the west. I know you feel like you've been walking around that wall for, for days on end, not accomplishing anything. I know it's been four, five, six, seven days days, but you give me five minutes and I will transform your thought process. That's who he is. Because a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Verse nine, the Lord isn't slow about his promise. As some people think he's not slow. No, no, no. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He doesn't want anything to happen. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Verse 10, but, but. I think Peter wrote this real big, wrote a big but right here. Sorry, the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. I had a pastor tell me a story. He's on the way home. Pastor Maury Davis was on the way home from a men's conference right here in Louisiana. He was driving back and he was in a hurry because he was trying to get back from Louisiana to Tennessee because he had to film for his service that evening. And he was on his way back and he was at a gas station. And we're talking about a guy that did eight and a half years in a maximum security prison. He's always looking over his shoulder. He's always expecting a thief. He's always ready to fight back, protect himself or his family. He just thinks that way because of what was branded in his mind over eight and a half years in a maximum security prison. And yet this moment, all of a sudden, somebody went to rob him and they hit him over the head with a beer bottle at the gas station in the middle of the parking lot. And they're going to take his stuff. Problem is they didn't realize that they messed with a guy that had been in a maximum security prison for eight and a half years. So he beat the snot out of that dude after he recovered from the initial blow. <laughs> it was as unexpected as a thief. And even if you're expecting, you're still going to let your guard down if you're not careful. The heavens, as I told you a minute ago, the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. It's been baptized in water. It will be baptized in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Those who are left. Verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives. Listen to Peter's plea here. What holy and godly lives you should live. Verse 12, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Now, now how, are we supposed, how are we supposed to do that? Well, remember Jesus said, that I'll return when the whole world hears. 
That's what's holding me back. And remember, Peter just said, like, it could happen at any moment, but he's patient, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So what is Jesus waiting on? Why have we not already been caught up in the air? Why are we not already rolling and reigning with him for a, a millennium? He's waiting on the church to be as productive as he is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Because on that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away. Verse 13, we're looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth that he has promised. You can read about that in Revelation 21. In a world filled with God's righteousness. See, there is no utopia without God. It doesn't matter how many people get to go to school for free or how, how free the insurance is or, or how much um, uh, reward we get without sewing anything in, how much we think we're entitled to without investing anything. There is only one place where that kind of peace will come to pass, and it is when the righteousness of God fills the earth. Verse 14, so dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found. Living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. I wanted to cut some of this scripture instead of just reading through it, but it was all too good. It was all too good. My dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort not to be like the world you're living in, but to be found living peaceful lives, not caught up in all the division, not caught up in, in all the mess and all the trouble and all the drunkenness and all the revelry and all the promiscuity and all the adultery and all the whateveries. But being pure and peaceful, blameless in his sight, that is the objective. This is Peter's plea, verse 15. He's only got three more things to say. Remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Is this the end? If it is, then this is what we should be doing above all else. Well, should we be preparing for this money crisis? Should we be preparing for this currency crisis? Should we be preparing for the COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, sure. But if we're going to be so focused on that, we should be more focused on getting people saved. That's why we're here. What are we going to do about the mark of the beast? What are we going to do about not being able to buy and sell? What are we going to do if all the currency is gone? Shouldn't we be stocking up on gold and silver? Shouldn't we be stocking up on, on water and four-week baskets full of food that we can buy from JimBaker.com? No, we should be reaching lost and seeing people saved. That's, what this, that's the only reason we're still here. This is Peter's last words to the church. And then he says, this is what Paul wrote to you with wisdom God gave him. You remember the same guy that was standing over Stephen? As the first Christian martyr was executed by stone, and yet the glory of God shone on his face. 
It was Stephen's martyrdom that led to Paul's missions. It was Stephen's glory in suffering that led to Paul's glory in salvation. Verse 17, so be on guard, be on guard. And you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. This is the last thing that Peter says. The last thing that he wrote. You must grow. You must. I want to ask this question. We asked this in our parenting class this past week. Are you raising Americans or are you raising Christians? Because we now live in a time where the difference is undeniable. Are you raising children to accomplish success according to the American dream? Or are we raising children of God to accomplish his will and destiny. Is Christianity something that we do as a part of our culture on Sundays and maybe Wednesdays or, or once a week when we come together? Or is following Jesus your sole identity and then everything else is just a compliment to who you are in Christ? That's what Peter is saying. You must grow. You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of Paul's sons in the faith tells us how important it is for us to grow in grace. In verse 11 of Titus chapter 2, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Could it be that we're not seeing people grow in salvation across the earth? Because God's people have missed Peter's last statement, his last plea, that we should be growing in grace so that they can grow in salvation. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, not be like everybody else and put a little Jesus in. Training us to renounce worldly passions, not be like everybody else in the secret place thinking nobody will ever find out. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. Who is our blessed hope? Jesus is. Jesus is our blessed hope. He is the one that will keep us from having to suffer the wrath of God because he's already suffered it for us. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've been at the side of many deathbeds more than I ever wanted to be. And this is not a morbid or try to scare you into anything moment. I've been at the side of deathbeds where people were more ready to go than their family were ready to see them go. I've seen people lay on their deathbeds with smile on their face and joy in their eyes. I've seen people laying on their deathbeds that show and tell stories that they had been visited by Jesus himself just over the last couple of days. And they could see his arms open wide as they were preparing to meet their Savior in spirit. 
and soul. And then I've seen people who are terrified. I've seen families cry with no hope. I've seen an individual who is literally trembling at the idea of facing imminent death. I took the hands of that person. They couldn't even speak. And I whispered a prayer of confession in their ear. Something like, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me for every place I've ever fallen short. Save me. I want to be with you. Take my life and make it yours. That simple. And I saw the angst lift off of the shoulders of that individual. I saw the terror pass from the glazed over eyes of that person. And I saw a child of God be born. See, the saints of God have a promise. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first so that body can meet the soul in the air. And after that, verse 17 says, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Final verse. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Don't panic. Endure and serve with sense. Peter's final plea, grow in the grace of God so that people can grow in the grace of salvation. Father, I pray right now for every person listening. I thank you for your time. God, I thank you that with you a thousand years is like a day. Because you don't dwell in time, time dwells in you. I thank you that a day is like a thousand years. So that even when we think we're in a hurry, we actually have more time than we thought we did. God, I thank you for your patience with us individually. And certainly with us as the church when we get distracted and act just like everybody else. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. For not heeding to Jesus' warning in Luke 21 to watch and pray and be alert at all times. That we may be found worthy to escape. Lord, I pray right now for any person that may be listening that is not secure of who they are in their relationship with you. Who's not confident of who they are in Christ. And God, I lift them up to you. Right now, I lift them up to you. If that is you. And you don't know, and you're not confident in your relationship with Jesus. Don't be overconfident. But you should be confident if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're not, then that relationship needs to be evaluated. If you know right now that you need to commit or recommit your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray that same prayer that I prayed with that person that wasn't confident as they faced their eternity. Because we'll all face I want to invite you right now to open your hands in a posture of reception 
and confess with me out loud, Jesus as Lord of your life. Come on, pray this with me. Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me, save me. Without you, I'm fallen, but in you, I'm forgiven. I believe you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You were raised from the dead so I could be born again. Jesus, take my life. Make it yours. May I grow in grace and lead as many people as possible to you and relationship with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name.